Our second reading comes from Acts 2, verses 29 to 41, and can be found on page 1057 in the Pew Bible. It's titled, Peter Addresses the Crowd. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. May the Lord bless this reading from his holy word and to his name be the praise and the glory. Amen. Well, friends, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts in it, that you would strengthen us, Lord, in your word. And challenge us as well. Just as you used Peter to challenge his hearers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, look at this passage of scripture here in Acts chapter 2. It is a preacher's great desire, isn't it? Look at the end of that chapter. You preach a sermon. Wow, it's a dream day. 3,000 people are added to the church. And people are cut to the heart. I mean, those of us who preach Sunday by Sunday and those of us who preach occasionally, we wonder what our hearers are thinking about, don't we? When we stand up here and we are talking to you, perhaps you have got so many other things going on right now in your mind. Perhaps you are thinking, well, what time is this service going to end? Perhaps you're thinking, well, if you put a roast on the oven, well, will I be in time to get that roast out of the oven? Or perhaps you're thinking of the footy match maybe this afternoon. Did you see that football match, by the way, last 
I mean, I had a good week this past week. Geelong versus Carlton. Did you watch that match? Anyone? Come on. No, you didn't. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. Because last week, some people had the the real courage to give me curry, actually, at the door. When we really lost to the Sydney Swans. uh, We won't go there anyway. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dream thing, isn't it? Where a preacher preaches, you know what your people are thinking. But here when Peter was preaching this sermon, guess what? They were cut to the heart and things happened. And 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus. Well, that's fantastic. How did this happen? Of course, we're going to look at this passage. I'm not going to look at verse 40. One, of course, this morning, but I will touch on that, because our text today is um, Acts chapter 2, 29 to 38. You now look at this question, what shall we do? See, when Peter preached this message, the people responded with the question, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do with this message? Perhaps you've sat at a board meeting or some other meetings and you've come to crossroads and you've asked yourself the question, what shall we do? Maybe you're having a family discussion and in part of that family discussion you're at crossroads and you come to the question, well, what shall we do? And when Peter had preached this sermon, the people asked the question, what shall we do? And so today in this passage, in Acts chapter 2, 29 to 38, Peter gives us some incredible things about who Jesus really is. He speaks about the resurrection of Jesus. He speaks also about the ascension of Jesus. And then he also speaks about the response that people should have to this Jesus. He says, repent And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then the people responded because they were cut to the heart. We will look at that passage here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please keep them open to Acts uh, chapter 2. Or if you have your iPhones or other phones, I'm sure don't text anyone. But but, but have a look at your passages, alright? So that's good. You see, what, what a remarkable power and effects are observed with this message. You see, Peter, prior to the powerful demonstration of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, had laid at the hearts of his hearers the word of God and the truths contained therein. And so he says, for example, before, before we look at this passage, let's, uh, let's quickly look at the context here. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to, uh, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, Jesus, Peter says, was attested by God. And Peter speaks of the miracles, wonders and signs that God did through Jesus. Peter says that God was the one who was at work in the miracles, signs and wonders that Jesus did. And I touched on some of these things last week. Miracles such as changing water into the best wine. Imagine that, a wedding, 
Wines run out. They come and Jesus changes that water into wine. Giving sight to the blind. Raising the dead. Healing the paralytic. Casting out demons. These are some of the miracles that Jesus did. And the people were absolutely amazed when they saw these miracles. For example, the ruler of the Jewish council, Nicodemus, said, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So the miracles, friends, were God's attestation of Jesus. For example, we read in Luke chapter 9, 35, And a voice came out from the clouds saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And so Peter says that this Jesus was delivered with the hands of wicked men nailed to the cross. But in this process, God was also involved. And we see the concurrence and the simultaneous working of God and men to bring about God's purposes with the crucifixion of Jesus at the cross. Hard to comprehend, but it is a fact. And so Peter continues on, on this theme of the resurrection. If you look at the Bible, chapter 2, verse 29 to 32, he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had, had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So Peter is referring clearly to Psalm 16. And he says this, David, thousand years ago, predicted, prophesied, that one is going to come. It's not David, because David is dead, Peter says. His tomb is here, you can go and see it. His body has seen decay. But thousand years before, David spoke about whom? Who do you think he spoke about? Come on. Jesus. I mean, it's not the school kids' famous uh, response, isn't it? Has to be Jesus. <laughs> right? Certainly, it is Jesus here. Because he spoke about Jesus. And so, Peter connects the prophecy of Psalm 16 in his message here in Acts chapter 2 to make the point that God had promised through David thousand years ago that his Holy One will not see decay, and that is Jesus. And so, David spoke about this resurrection of Jesus. And this prophecy Peter says, was fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead. You see, friends, I'll say this. If Jesus stayed dead, it would have proven that death had a rightful claim over him. Alright? And since death has a rightful claim only over sinners, Jesus remaining dead would have meant that he was a sinner and not the Redeemer. That's the point. But the Bible tells us, friends, something so wonderful, that for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the Bible tells us that we have all sinned, we have flaws in our lives, we know that. Uh, we know that we say wrong things to people, we hurt people, don't we? We think wrong things, we act in a wrong way at times. We know, you know, that sometimes we don't behave the way we should. 
We struggle with this thing, this thing called our human nature, which comes up and brings out the ugly side of us at times. We know that. But Jesus, friends, had no sin and death had no hold on him at all. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful blessing that is. Amen to that. You see, what a wonderful blessing. That all my sin is nailed to the cross. And the righteousness of God is placed upon us once and for all. Made clean in Jesus. I mean, you think about that. That's some of the most amazing thing that God has done for us in Jesus. And so Peter says that David spoke about this resurrection. He foresaw, verse 31, and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his fleshy corruption. And then Peter adds this little thing there. This Jesus God raised up, look at verse 32, and that we are all, what is that? We are all witnesses. We have seen, our eyes have seen, we have met the risen Lord. We have encountered him. He has encountered us. We have seen Jesus. We are eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. Believe and trust in this living God. That's what Peter is saying. You don't believe us? Well, we, we saw him. We met with him after the resurrection. We have seen him, the living Savior. And so Peter brings out clearly the core fundamental belief of the Christian gospel, and that is the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Friends, without the resurrection of Jesus, the story of Jesus is a tragedy. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the baptism we had this morning is useless. (laughs) It becomes a ritual. It just becomes a water ceremony. It's useless. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no need for me to stand here this morning. I won't be here. I, I, I won't be here. It's a waste, waste of my time. And I, frankly, it's a waste of your time as well. <laughs> I say it respectfully, okay? Without the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is a tragedy. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is an unfinished faith. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the very question about the existence of God and the meaning of life remains unanswered. Because why follow a God who is dead? Doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense to me anyway. And so because Jesus has been raised from the dead, death itself has been conquered. No wonder Paul says, and I know that there was a reference in Harry's testimony to Romans chapter 8, Paul says, now therefore, it's a wonderful text as well, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, nothing. Let no one put you down. In other words, let no one say to you, well, you are a good for nothing person. Let no one say to you, well, you are just... Riffraff of the society, nobody cares for you, you are a nothing. No, you are a someone made in the image of God. And when you trust this great Savior, Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away, you are now under no condemnation. 
Praise God for that, friends. Give praise to God this morning for the joy of the freedom that we have in Christ. Should we not? (laughs) We should. You see, without the resurrection, there is no meaning. See, the resurrection of Jesus, friends, makes a real difference to life and to our perspective of life and death. It turns night into day. It turns despair into hope. It turns brokenness to fulfillment. It turns meaningless living to meaningful living. It turns death into life, everlasting life in heaven. That's what it does. And Peter continues on. Look at verses 33 to 36. And Peter says that this Jesus being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this to you. Yourselves are seen and hearing. And then he quotes Psalm 110, the psalm that we read. And what is that psalm? Again, David. David. Look at this. Look at Peter's message for a moment. What is Peter doing? He's bringing Old Testament prophecy. Prophecy that was spoken by Joel about 800 years before the Holy Spirit was poured. Thousand years before, when David spoke about the resurrection. Again, a period of about 900 to 1000 years, this prophecy is given that Jesus will ascend to heaven. And what happens, friends, in Acts chapter 1? Something happens in Acts chapter 1, doesn't it? In Acts chapter 1, 9 and 10. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him. Aha. He <laughs> come in the same way as you saw him go. Can you see that? The broad spectrum. It's an amazing spectrum. And so we need to stop and ask ourselves, how is this possible? Does it make sense? A prophecy that was given thousand years ago happens again when Jesus is bodily taken up to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father. A position of authority. And strength and hope and a position of intercession for God's people. That when we cry out, God help me because I'm your child. We have our Father in heaven who listens to our cries because our Savior is there with his Father at the right hand. And so we come crying to this God, don't we? And there are times that you have come crying to God in despair saying, I am lost, I don't know what to do. Some people say, I almost want to pull out my hair in discouragement. Not, I can't do much of that myself. <laughs> well, I have nothing much to pull out anyway. The point is, you know, and there are moments like that. And what a great comfort to know that our Savior Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That through every challenge, through every testing that comes our way, we claim the promises of this Christ in the name of Jesus. Because we are more than conquerors in Christ. And there are many times, friends, that I have prayed this prayer. Lord, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. 
the position of all authority. And I pray this prayer for this church because this church belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to me, to no one else but to the Lord. And I pray, Lord, let your name be glorified in this church for your purposes. Because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. What a joy that is, friends. Right? Heaven itself. A literal place that Christ has gone. You see, and, and Peter says that this Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. The anointed one and he's the Lord. He's the anointed Christ and the Savior, the Lord. Now the response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Look at your text there. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, what's it? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter had preached fearlessly. He had challenged their conscience, sufficient to convict them of what Jesus did. Peter declared the resurrection. Peter declared the ascension, the exaltation. And Peter has declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who is the Lord. His sermon is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they heard this, they were pricked to the heart. It's a very interesting Greek word that is used here. It's the first, it's only used in this passage in the New Testament. It's never used anywhere else. And the word that is used here means to be down punctured. That is to be pricked. The idea is like that of a sharp instrument that has gone through your heart. You know, have you kind of had moments like that? When something has so overwhelmed you, it's like a thing that has gone through your heart. You heard some bad news or you're in a state of shock. You feel this thing going through, this pain as it were. You see, Peter is saying, it's something that pierced their heart. And no wonder they cried out, what shall we do? They were pricked to the heart by what they had heard. They were convicted of what they had heard. And now they understood what happened to Jesus. They had come to understand God's grace, God's goodness in sending his son. They heard about his death. They heard about his resurrection. They heard about the ascension. They heard about the forgiveness of sins. A soul-searching question. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, Peter says. Repent from what? <laughs> good question, isn't it? What, what repent? What, what am I going to repent from? Surely I am a good person. Surely I am a moral person. Uh, I am good. But the moment I say I am good, what am I saying? I am better than you, right? <laughs> Indirectly I am saying that, isn't it? I am good. I am better than you. I have not done, done anything wrong, so... I should be good. <laughs> Only God knows my heart. Right? And so what are we to repent from? What, what, what should I repent from? This is a crucial question, friends. Think about it. <laughs> because if you take the philosophy of life that says, I'm good, intrinsically good, nothing's wrong with me, then there's nothing for me to repent from. 
But if you understand who you are, then you begin to understand what repentance really is. <laughs> from a spiritual point of view. So what are we to repent from, friends? See, repentance here, um, Don Carson says this, um, what makes, is, we're going to repent from sin. I'm going to ask you, and, 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 and what is sin? Because preachers can preach these things and you go wondering, thinking, what on earth is sin? Well, what makes sin, sin? This, this is what Don Carson says. What makes sin, sin? What makes it so profoundly heinous? What, what makes it so deeply repugnant and culpable is that it is offense against God. Yes, you and I need to forgive one another, yet in the most profound analysis, Professor Carson says, in the profound analysis of what sin is, only God can forgive sin. You see? And, and scripture gives us an understanding of what sin is, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and it separates us from a holy God. And Jesus sent Christ to bring us back on the cross, and, and build a bridge. When I was lost, now I'm found. When I was in the dark, I lived in the dark, but now I'm in the light. When I was lost, knowing not where to go, Christ has taken me and given me new life. All because of His grace. You see, your life is precious. I don't know what is going through your minds right now. But you must surely, I encourage you to ask yourself the question, what shall I do? What do I do with this Jesus? Where do I go with him? What do I do with this message? You see, repentance is a radical change of mind. Repentance is the ultimate surrender of self. In the context here, repentance is saying to God, forgive me, I want to live my life for you. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, once and for all. Be baptized. Baptism, I mentioned this morning, is a sacrament of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. We have this and of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this, friends. We believe that baptism is a sign and a visible pledge and a confirmation from God to those who believe in Jesus of our union with Him, of our spiritual rebirth by the Holy Spirit, of the forgiveness of our sins, of our new life in Christ, and of our being part of the body of Christ. When we are baptized, God pledges those blessings, confirms those things to us, and gives us the joy of forgiveness. Have you ever experienced the joy of being forgiven? Say, for example, your child comes and does something wrong. Or maybe think about yourself. Times that you've done things wrong. I remember I had a little bicycle in Sri Lanka. And I was not allowed to ride at certain times of the day. Because it was busy. No helmets, by the way. No helmets in Sri Lanka. I just took my bike and I rode it. Actually, I got a scar here. You'll see it later on. I did my own thing. And I landed on a barbed wire fence. Boy. It is still there, the scar. Well... I knew this was going to be a bad time for me. When my parents came home, I was given a good, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> I was spoken to strongly and I was disciplined. Man, oh man, and I love my bicycle. I wish I had brought it with me. 
I just hung out with my friends in Sri Lanka. I just went along everywhere. I did my own thing. But then one day my dad, after a few days, he said, Son, you've learned your lesson. You've learned your lesson. The mark's there for you to see. You know what I did? The silliest thing I did was, the moment this happened, I took leaves from a plant there, and I put that juice all over, you know, squeezed the leaf and put it there, and I thought, the sky is going to go off, my parents won't see it, I don't want to go to the doctors, nothing. It didn't work. It just didn't work. Three days later, my, a few days later, my father said to me, son, you've had enough of this now. Time that we get back things to, uh, in order, and I've forgiven you. It's fine. But you learned the lesson, don't do it again. I was relieved. I could take my bike and ride, but this time, stayed away from barbed wire fences. And it's a great feeling, isn't it? To know that you've been forgiven, loved and embraced and accepted. Right? It's a wonderful thing. That's what God has done. He forgives us, loves us and calls us to be his child. You see, uh, I want to close with these words with Tim Keller spoke, speaking about uh, on, on, in his book, The Reason for God. He says this, Christianity has at its core a transaction between a person and God. A person who becomes a Christian moves from knowing God distantly to knowing about him directly and intimately. Christianity is knowing God. So friends, the gospel changes us from the inside out. That is why we say Christianity is a relationship with God. What shall we do? A soul-searching question that deserves serious consideration. The answer to this question can change your life. The answer to this question can change your life. So I encourage you this morning to know the joy of Jesus Christ. To know that you are loved by this great God, that he cares for you abundantly, that he sent his son for you on the cross, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and when you come back to him in repentance, the father stands there with his big wide stretched arms and says, come back my son, come back my daughter. Remember the prodigal son? I'm waiting, I'm waiting for you to come Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us so deeply. Help us to rejoice in the joy of knowing our great God. I pray this morning there might be people here who don't know you today. Pray that they will grapple with that question themselves and search your word and find salvation in you, Lord. Pray for those of us who know you today. Help us, Lord, to rejoice. Be glad for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.